You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worland. I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Good morning, y'all. Good morning. Good morning, Kyle. Morning, Jen. Good morning. I did not have coffee this morning. I had English tea. You guys ever drink hot tea in the morning? No. If I, if oh. I drink tea, I only drink English tea. Oh, really? Okay, that's good to know. Get it? See, uh, see what he did there? Oh, I didn't even... <laughs> Kyle. Oh, this my is why gosh. You should... I just flew right past it. Just right past it. Okay, well, we're, we're off to the races. Well, today we're talking about Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel. Uh, that's what we're looking at. We've covered uh, Genesis 1 through 10. And so just a brief recap. I mean, if we're just hitting the high notes here, we have creation of the world. We talked about image bearing with Russell Moore. We talked about Sabbath rest in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. We talked about the fall in Genesis chapter 3 and the resulting exile. We talked about Cain and Abel, and we move forward into the story of Noah and the flood. And over the course of that time, we got to interview some great guests. If you missed some of the earlier episodes this season, Nancy Guthrie was on, uh, Dr. Russell Moore was on. Uh, am I forgetting anybody on the guests there? Uh, Did you say Katie McCoy? Katie, well, yeah, Katie McCoy was on. Uh, and so we've had some great guests on uh, this season. And we've got some great guests coming up for you. But today we're looking at Genesis chapter 11. And this is how it reads. I'm just, if I could, can I just read Genesis 11 verses 1 through 9? It's short yeah. enough. Yeah, I think that would be great. Yeah. JT, yeah. Why, don't you, why don't you read it? Do you, Genesis- do you have a Bible in front of you? Boom. Okay, uh, that's good. Genesis 11, right. 1 through 9 do it. Okay. Moses writes under the Holy Spirit. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the East, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off the building of the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the earth, and the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. Fascinating. What an interesting story. Now, let's just open it up with this. Is this like the post-flood nirvana period? Like, is this the post-flood utopia period? Because when it opens up, I guess we read the story of the Tower of Babel uh, kind of back to front, meaning we kind of know where it's going. Mm-hmm. But if you just read the first couple of lines of this, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. They're, they've migrated. They've settled there. They said to one another, come, let us build a city. Uh, like, let, let's build something. Okay, if I could just pause. In my mind, if you just pause right there, it feels like, oh, wow, they're doing what God mm-hmm. told them to do after the flood. They're, they're, it's one people. Um, they're living together and they're building. Isn't this a part of the cultural mandate? Cultivate and subdue. They're building a civilization. So like it seems for a moment like everything is going according to plan, right? 
accept that the language <laughs> is telling us something different. Yeah, that language come let us is is highly significant and you see it elsewhere. Uh, you'll see it uh, in the book of Exodus when um, Pharaoh says, come let us build store cities and he it utilizes the Israelite slave labor to do so. Um, and so what we see in this building project, and it's pretty clear that their motive for building is not to bring honor and glory to God. It is to ascend to the heavens and be like God. It is to uh, make much of themselves. And not only that, but cities are places that actually keep people in one spot. And so part of what is confusing about the way the narrative is written to us, because we're, we're not necessarily paying attention to the typical rhythms that the original audience would have, is that because we just had the table of nations, um, we, we're thinking, oh, okay, everybody's all spread out and speaking different languages. But the table of nations, this is not a chronological retelling. The table of nations is talking about how things look after the story of Babel. So um, it's important to see that the the fruitfulness, multiplication, and spreading out that is uh, basically, as we'll see, uh, forced upon the human race at that point mm-hmm. is that's recorded in the Table of Nations actually is the result of the story that we're reading. Yeah, that I think that makes a lot of sense. I think one of the things that I I'm asking this question, and I'm glad you brought that language up, Jen, because that's where I was hoping we would go with it. But I, I do feel like sometimes when I heard the story of the Tower of Babel taught, and I don't know if this was just like the the circles I was in, Mm -hmm. but I heard about it as, oh, they're doing something that like the the idea of city building, Mm -hmm. the idea of structure building was antithetical to what they should have been doing, which is Mm -hmm. like living off the land in the garden. Mm -hmm. And I heard this as kind of like anti-city, anti-building, anti-progress. But that's, the call in Eden is to cultivate and subdue and is to transform the earth into like this garden city. So the act of building, the act of development, the act of civic society, the act of structure building isn't bad. It's not immoral, but the reason they want to do it is, yes. right? Okay, so I want to I want to talk about that for a minute because I think you're right that definitely the point of this story is not anti-progress, anti-cultivation, anti building a, you know, a civilization for ourselves. But you're right. I mean, one of the things that's wrong about building this city is that they're doing it for their glory, not the Lord's glory. But if you go back to Genesis chapter one, which we've, we've spent a lot of time in this passage over the season, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, God says, let us make, let us, the same language that you just referred mm-hmm. to, Jen, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now we could keep keep going there, but I mean, I think one thing that we're meant to see here, it's not that they shouldn't be building, but they should be scattered in building, mm-hmm. not gathered together in building. Mm-hmm. The sense that you get in, Gen- in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel is everybody has come together, same language, same words. They've migrated together into this one plane. And one of their acts of disobedience is, is that they're gathering, not scattering. Would you say that? I mean, what again, this is a bit of a, maybe a thread the needle point because they're definitely not in disobedience to build something. They are called to build and to cultivate and to, and to make something beautiful. But it's not just that they did it for their glory. It's that they are gathered together in doing it rather than scattered throughout the whole earth in doing it. Yeah. And I think we have an earlier clue. Um, you know, we hit the table of nations pretty quickly in our last um, podcast, but there's a clue that's given to us about the nature of this building product 
project. Um, first of all, because we've already had the story of Cain um, building a city, you know, that he that he calls uh, Enoch. It's this basically the city of man. But then um, back in chapter 10, in verse 6, when we're looking at the sons of Ham, we find in verse 8, it says, Cush fathered Nimrod, and he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. I know you guys use that phrase all the time. <laughs> um, and then in verse 10, it says the beginning of his kingdom, Nimrod's kingdom, was Babel, okay? And it mm-hmm. says in verse 11, from that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. So Nimrod is a super bad guy and we miss it, but his name means we shall rebel. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're about to see set up for us a type that is going to persist all the way through to Revelation. And it's that Babel or Babylon, um, the great city of rebellion uh, that sets itself in opposition to God. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it, it's not that the uh, the building of a city isn't bad. The building of a tower isn't bad. Like if you're in construction, the story of Babel is not an apologetic. <laughs> the work that you do. Um, but uh, there is a problem here because it, it, it appears that the motivation is coming from this unrighteous line, this unrighteous seed, this unrighteous generation. Uh, and it is emerging in a way that is unrighteous because if we keep going, it's not just come let us uh, make bricks and burn them. Mm-hmm. Let's build ourselves. Come let us, there you go, that phrase again, build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Let's maybe dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Mm-hmm. So now the motivation is made plain. What was implicit in those first few verses is now made explicit because what the the... Uh, people at Babel want to do is not build a tower for the sake of the name of the Lord. They don't want to build a tower to praise God. They don't want to build a tower because they're walking out the cultural mandate. They want to build a tower so they can make themselves a great name, right? I mean, that's what's happening. Well, and another little interesting wordplay that we don't necessarily pick up on um, is when it says, let us make a name. First of all, I think we should be thinking about how in Genesis four twenty six we saw in the time of Noah that people began to call on the name of the Lord or just prior to that that time. And so there's this, people were calling on the name of the Lord in their distress. And now what are they doing? They're making a name for themselves. And that word for name is the, is the word Shem. Mm. Uh, and so there's a word, word play on Shem being the one who will, you know, his line will deliver. Uh, and and yet here it's let us make a shem for ourselves. Let us de- let us let us deliver ourselves. Make much of ourselves. So and and in the NIV, if you compare, let us build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. The NIV says that reaches to the heavens. And so you know the idea there is we're going to ascend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to make it up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's right, Jen. And like part of, I think, what God's people would have heard the first time they went through this text is Eden is supposed to be the mountain city of God. Eden mm-hmm. is supposed to be this place yeah. where we don't have to ascend to be in God's presence. We are in the heavens with God. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Noah in Genesis chapter 6 through 9 is God meets him on Mount Ararat. Like the, the, there's this mountain theme that you have through Genesis. And then where are they when Moses is writing and reading and telling them the story about their about about their family? Mm-hmm. They're at Mount Sinai, the place that, that God comes down and, and meets with his people and gives them the law and meets with the 70 elders. And so mountain themes are a big deal in the Bible. Of course, we could keep going. The psalmists look to the hills. Where does our help come from? 
You could go to the mountain of Mount Calvary where Jesus does uh, become the God who comes down to save us. But here, rather than just any mountain, you, you have this language that humanity is trying to ascend and build a mountain for themselves. So it's almost an anti-Eden, an anti-Ararat, an anti-Sinai, and an anti-Calvary where we're trying to make not just a name great for ourselves, but we are trying to enter the presence of God on our own terms. Yep, Absolutely. Well, and not only, that's really good, JT, like that whole, you know, if, if, for those of you who are listening, who are looking, wanting to have clearer eyes for reading the Bible in general, you've just heard some themes. You've heard, you know, look for cities, look for mountains, um, look for God coming down, look for this language of let us, what, who's using it? Why are they using it? Those are some really good um, hooks to have on the text. Um, the building materials that are mentioned here are accurate you know, to the period in which it would have been built. And people think that this was in, in all likelihood, uh, what, what they're trying to build is a, is a ziggurat. It's one of those um, layered, you know, stair step kind of buildings, which is significant because it's a, it's a stairway to heaven. It's mm-hmm. basically what it is. It's, uh, it's uh, steps that you would walk up to perform a rite at the top of. So... Would you like to sing a portion of Stairway I would, but I'm holding back because every time I sing, you guys save the file and threaten to blackmail me with it. Here's the thing. We promise this time we won't do it. No, I believe you, but I'm still going to withhold. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, so uh, they are reaching for autonomy. They're reaching for independence. They're reaching for their name uh, to be great. And what does it say? It says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Now, I've heard this preached so many times and it's like emphasized like this. And I just want to like, I just want to ask, I think it's fair, but like, and the Lord came down, but like, you know, and you'll hear a preacher and he'll say something like, you know, uh, they thought their tower was so big, but the Lord actually had to come down to see it. Is the, is the language here being emphatic in that regard? Or is this just a language of the Lord's attention is on this, right? Like, is this, is what's happening here as emphatic as it appears? The Lord came down to see the city and the tower. I mean, he's, he, that he has to condescend so far, even though they think their tower is so tall. Everything yeah. I've read, okay, yeah, it's, a, it's <laughs> great, a real thing. Like great, the, the irony is meant to be thick. Okay, good. I mean, that's, you think- that's how I want to read it. But sometimes when something is preached <laughs> so, so uniformly, often. I'm like, is are we all like, does this hold up, or is this just a great preaching point? Right? I just want to know where you've been hanging out that you've heard multiple sermons on the Tower of Babel because that sounds like a pretty great setting. Uh, yeah, well, I was I, when I read this, I always think of Google Earth. You know how like. Have you ever done that where you zoom way, 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 way out on where you live and then you can zoom way, way, way back in? Mm-hmm. Clearly, I need some hobbies. But I, I think that that's kind of the idea is just like the Lord is sitting enthroned above the circle of the earth and, yep. and he comes down to see. And, and it's like, it's, he's not coming down to see because he doesn't know what they're up to. You know, the language mm-hmm. is there to, to, to give you those, um, that perspective of, of the zooming way in on this teeny, teeny, tiny little thing that they thought would actually accomplish what they've said it would. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think there is a, there's a, there's worth, it's worth pausing here to, in the, I feel like we also get a garden picture here in that, uh, with Adam and Eve in the garden after they have, you know, sin, they've rebelled against God. The Lord comes walking in the cool of the day Mm -hmm. and they're using God's world to hide from God's presence. And in some sense, the tower here, this moment feels a little bit like that exchange, right? Where the Lord, it comes down into their midst and the smallness 
And yet the rebelliousness of what they have done is obvious, mm -hmm. right? It seems like it's, it seems silly at this point, right? But it's tragic. Adam and Eve are with fig leaves on hiding behind trees. The Lord's walking in the garden and they think, you know, he's not going to see us, right? Like mm -hmm. they're hiding. And here at the Tower of Babel, the Lord comes down and it's almost like they think they've built this giant tower to protect themselves so that they wouldn't be dispersed, so that their name would be great. And yet it's tragic, but it's also very puny. It's a very small thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what you mean by small thing, though, because like it's small, but like I think you could also argue this is the height of human rebellion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean? guess like, by I guess I mean small in the eyes of God, meaning that this this passage seems to contrast what Babel saw as great power with the Lord coming down, showing even the greatest rebellion of man, the greatest powers of man against God are 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 small in accordance with his power and magnitude. Are you making an argument for impassibility right now? <laughs> Don't. <laughs> there will be no more arguments for or against. We're not going to, we're not, we, we will not, we will not be like a dog that returns to its own vomit. Okay. Wow. I have to tell you guys, I had a, I had a meeting yesterday, totally unrelated to my relationships with either of you guys. Uh, and I had, you know, found peace from, from our travails. And, and this person says to me, yeah, I wrote my thesis on impassibility. And I was like, I'm out. You were triggered. <laughs> he, tri he triggered you immediately. You're like, oh boy. Okay. I, I gotta leave. Gotta go. um, I think we're saying the same thing, Kyle, like yeah. in, in, in the sense that a huge, like from a human perspective, man, what a big deal this is. The Babel's not a big deal. Like it's this tiny right. little ancient or Eastern tower that might've been 40, 50, 60 feet high. Like it's, mm -hmm. but I do think from like a biblical redemptive history perspective, I think the author is trying to show us this is actually the height of human rebellion. Yes. Mm -hmm. They are yeah. doing the exact opposite of what they've been commissioned to do. They've mm -hmm. been commissioned to scatter and make God famous. They've been, they've been commissioned to be fruitful and multiply and extend a dominion over all the earth. Instead, they've done the exact opposite. They've gathered together. They're building a tower into the heavens, at least their attempt, and they're trying to make a name great for themselves. This is the mm -hmm. opposite of Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Mm -hmm. And they're utilizing the tools God gifts us with to do those things too. Mm -hmm. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like a, it's a misdirection of what God had called people to do. Because it definitely, this seems different, doesn't it, than the pre-Diluvian, like the pre-flood sin, right? Like it's not, what's happening here doesn't feel the same. Like 
that seemed to be widespread, uh, like uh, more interior, but that was playing out in maybe some sexual sin or maybe some unrighteous sin or immorality. This is bad, but it's a different kind of sinful rebellion. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel, it feels more like the garden to me, although in a much different landscape than it does like right before the flood. Well, and so there's, yeah. And the, the, we've talked about this, I think when we were doing the, the Samuel exegesis that we did about how the, the text, the writer will, he'll expand and contract his, his audience. And actually you see it in the book of Acts also. So it's fairly commonly done where you see, this is what's happening with two people or one person. And then it takes you out to, and this is what's happening with everyone. And so right here, we're seeing a, an expansion of our view. So we started in, in the garden with two humans who uh, rebelled against God. And now what do we see? We're seeing that that expansion, which we've actually seen previously. We saw it in the time of Noah as well, where um, where humanity is now uniting. It's a corporate attempt to become like God instead of an individual attempt like we saw in the garden. And that's, that's concerning. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm borrowing something from one of my favorite commentaries. There's a commentary by Bill Arnold on um, on Genesis and he says the Tower of Babel shows us that all human language has become a language of disobedience. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think that's what we're supposed to take from this is that the, it's, it's not that the, it, it's like, and here's the deal. We want to look at them and go, morons, you know, what a pack right. of morons. Uh, but but any time that we are bending our efforts to to exalt ourselves, utilizing the very gifts that God has given us, to glorify him, mm-hmm. we're, we're just like them. And our language becomes the language of disobedience, no matter how grand it sounds, or, or if we even, even if our words are saying yeah. uh, that Christ is Lord, uh, when we exalt ourselves against him by taking the gifts we've been given and using them to build, we're, we're doing the same thing. We're on the plane of Shinar, yeah. stacking mm-hmm. up bricks. Yeah. I think that's really good. The Lord said, behold, they are one people. They all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down may not, uh, and, and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Now, like, let me just ask it like this. And we know that the answer here is no. But let me just ask the question <laughs> for the conversation. Is God being cruel here to qua- to squash their unified action? I mean, like, here they are. The people are mobilizing together. Now, we know their motivation is wrong and it's bad. Is this just like, um, I, I was talking with um, an agnostic friend of mine. This is probably a month ago. And I asked him, what's one of, your, one, what's one of the most troubling passages in the Bible for you? And do you know what he said? This one. And I was surprised by that. And I said, why? He said, well, because didn't God create humans to do like great big things and like to build? And like, why would God see that they're doing something that seems like developmental? It seems Mm -hmm. like it's moving the ball forward and that he would then show up and not just like tell them, hey, change course here, but like judge them for this, confuse their languages. Like, isn't God a God of order? And here he creates... Like they're trying to create order and he shows up and creates confusion and chaos. So is God just being cruel to do this? It's another decreation account, guys. So it, it is judgment though. It, it, this is judgment. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, but I look at it as, I mean, I remember reading this when I had small children and just cracking up because you get to that part, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And I had four small children all at once. And I remember walking into the living room one day and thinking, this is the story of my life. What will they do if they're all together in here plotting against me? This is why we send kids to time out, right? Mm -hmm. And so God is, he's not, he doesn't send another flood. Right. He could have flooded up the plain of Shinar, but no he didn't. Ins- <laughs> no way, covenant, Jen. Bible literacy. So, so just as we said earlier, like he he doesn't it, he doesn't say I will never judge again. He says I'll judge in this right. way. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, and and I think it's important to understand that. Um, and what I told that guy that day is this is a story where uh, eventually. Uh, what happens? What happens is that eventually God does bring all of the people, all of his people together again in a heavenly city mm-hmm. where they are together. Like mm-hmm. the, the judgment here is is a judgment that God enacts against the wicked desire to do this on humanity's own terms. But there, God is actually going to give his people this reality in the future on God's own terms in a restored world where things are remade and renewed. And so the story of the tower of Babel should leave us going, man, wouldn't it be great if the world wasn't divided against itself? Wouldn't it be great if we dwelt in unity and in harmony? Wouldn't it be great if we had one language and could be one people together and, and, and experience the world and all of the beauty of the world together in unity? But the reality is, is that what Babel wanted was they wanted that on their own terms. And God mm-hmm. was like, no, I'm not going to give you that. I'm not going to give you this on your own terms. But one day he will give us this reality, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I mean, he's, that's certainly the direction that this is heading. But I do think we're, I think Jen's point is, is well taken. We're meant to see creation, decreation. And I mean, you could even say like kingdom, anti-kingdom. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's right. just the yeah. height of anti-kingdom. We're not meant to like, I don't think you're saying this, Kyle, but I, I just want to be clear where I am on this. Like, we're not meant to see any good in Genesis 11. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's I'm not like we're meant to say like, oh man, yeah, so they're supposed, they're kind of doing what they're supposed to do. It's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 they're in utter defiance and rebellion in Genesis chapter 11. Sometimes, sometimes what we're supposed to do or maybe a better way to say it, sometimes disobedience can have aspects of looking mm-hmm. like obedience, uh, which is a whole nother, like um, there's like a, there's probably a book in your parenting or a chapter in your parenting <laughs> book, Jennifer, there. But like h- humanity is taking an element, like there, it, it's maybe a better way to say it is fraud. Like this is, this is the most fraudulent way to rob God of his glory and his honor and our acts of service and obedience as being his creatures. It in some sense looks like we're doing what we're supposed to do. Yeah, we're cultivating something and we're building something. But I I just want to say like, it's not just that their motivation was bad. Their actions are bad. Like what Mm -hmm. they are actually doing is the opposite of what they've been asked to do in the cultural mandate. Not a a slight deviation. It is in direct contradiction to God's Mm -hmm. commands. Yeah, the right action done for the wrong reason is still the wrong action. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, that's a, and and what four minutes to say that and what and, <laughs> and what uh, and what the people and we see this with the call of Abraham in the next chapter. I mean, to not get too far ahead of ourselves here, one of the things that God tells Abraham that he's going to do is what I'm going to make you a great. I'm going to give you a great name. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your name is going to be great. So what the people at Babel try to seize by power, God is going to give by grace. That's right. Right? Well, and Um, and not only is he going to give him a great name, he's going to bless the nations. And that's supposed to clue you into the table of nations that we just heard in Genesis Mm -hmm. chapter 10. That it's not just that, and we'll get to this, I know, in the next season when we get to Genesis 12, but just a little preview. God isn't just choosing Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and eventually Israel for their own election. He's doing it so that he could bless all nations, not just one nation. And the nations yeah. we're meant to hear, at least in this context, in Genesis 11 and 12, is the nations that he just mentioned, which are enemies of God. If we were talking about Nimrod and others, but, right. but what Abraham is going to do is bless them with the grace that's been expend, expended, extended to him. Yeah. Okay, let's connect it to the New Testament. Boom. Okay, great. Go for it. Oh, okay. I, Hang on. I, I thought what we were doing was staying in texts. <laughs> oh, oh, let's do a canonical reading then, shall we? <laughs> Get your cannons out, everybody. Okay, so um, yeah, let's roll out the cannon. Um, there's obviously we've talked about this at length when we did the Acts study, um, the connection to Pentecost, where we have the the order out of confusion. Here we have confusion out of order with regard to languages, but Pentecost is this reverse babble. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's good for us to tie what happens at Pentecost where um, they are given the gospel in all of those languages. So so don't miss that. I think you can look at Pentecost and be like, but they're all still speaking different languages. But I think the beauty of Pentecost is they're saying the same thing. That's right. Uh, there's a unified message across all languages, which is that, you know, being a blessing to all the nations. So there's that. But I think that we don't always know to connect Pentecost to Revelation. Does anyone have any thoughts on how this whole thing about the city of man and the city of God connects to, oh, I don't know, let's say the end of Revelation? Go for it, Jen. Well, <laughs> no, I want you to talk about it. Nope. I want to see. I want to, I want you to do it. You're the best at this, Jen. You're doing the canonical reading here. But connect, but connect Babel too. Because yeah. Babel, Babylon is, I mean, not this biblical language, this is the great whore, according yeah. to John in Revelation. Again, this anti-kingdom, anti-God, anti-cultural mandate, anti-gospel. Well, and I think we've heard so much cuckoo stuff about the book of Revelation that yeah. we haven't always been able to piece together how it's pulling together mega themes. Yep. And, um, and, and so we, you know about the great whore of Babylon, or I hope you would, at the end of the book of Revelation. Uh, you know, she's seated on the beast and she's drinking her little cup of blood. And I mean, it's, you know, you're like, so like, whoa, that's nasty that you forget, where have I seen Babylon before? And why is it being pulled in here? And Genesis, you cannot separate what Revelation is saying from what Genesis has already said. Right, right. And so um, it's interesting that you find that Babylon, the great whore seated on the beast, uh, is an unholy bride, basically. Uh, and then what do you see in the chapters immediately following uh, mm-hmm. what we see about her? You see the bride, the great bride, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the earth descent in the Jerusalem descending. Um, so it's that final building project that we have all been living stones in throughout uh, our time on earth that we might um, see the city of God become a reality. Yeah, yeah. so like in, in Genesis 18, that's exactly right, Jen. But like maybe to connect to like a specific text, Genesis I told 18, you, told you you should have done it. No, you did a great job. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to like look at the verses. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so again, you're, everything you said is exactly right. I agree with you 100%. But like, I, th- I do think we're meant to see some imagery here, like Genesis 18, chapter, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 18, verse 2, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Uh-huh. So mm. the city that we had, that we, that we built. Revelation. And, That's and, Revelation. It's Revelation 18, verse 2. Yeah. 
the, the thing that we built has now fallen. Mm-hmm. The very thing that we thought was going to take us up into the heavens has fallen. Then it says later in verse 10, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, in a single hour, your judgment has come. So what mm-hmm. we see in seed form in Genesis, we're yeah. seeing in full form here at the end of Revelation. And then God, uh, I, won't, I won't touch the marriage theme that you just highlighted, but I think that's really important does the same thing that he does in Genesis chapter 11. He comes down mm-hmm. to destroy this Babylon. And mm-hmm. it's the, the verse that Kyle was just talking about. And he brings the holy city of Jerusalem with him once and for all. So there is a salvation that comes through the judgment of Babylon. So to go to Kyle's question a minute ago, where he said, is God being gracious in doing this? Yes, not only is he being gracious to bring judgment, he's also bringing salvation through his judgment of Babel and Babylon. So good. It is. It is so good. I mean, I think that the, I think that the most interesting thing about looking at Revelation in light of this passage is that, um, and I know, and and JT, I feel like we're saying the same thing. But if I'm saying this in a way that you feel like it's not accurate, then hit me with it. But I feel like one of the big impulses is to look at the story of Babel and to end up saying like, will there ever be a time where the people are united again? Like, that's what I leave the story of Babel with, right? There's all this, like, it ends in uh, verse 9. Therefore, its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. I mean, we think about this as something that's like, I mean, that's tragic. Both Mm -hmm. their motivation to do it, the judgment, and the situation now is like, wow. I mean, how much grief has been shared because of the confusion of peoples in the world? right? Mm -hmm. But there is a day coming when because of God's, God will destroy Babylon and Babel forever. All of the evil will be gone, eradicated. And this new people will be in a new city together. And the splendor of the diversity of the world will be welcomed into that city of grace. And it will no longer be a sign of our judgment. It will now be a mark of the beauty of God's world. Mm -hmm. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think, an incredible reality, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and not only do we see that in Revelation, we see that in seed form in Second Samuel, I think, where you have God's people gathered together, building a temple for God's glory, not their mm-hmm. own, and the nations are pouring into Jerusalem to know whose mm-hmm. God lives in Israel, who is the God that lives in Israel. Mm-hmm. So, so there's we see that in the United Kingdom under David and in Solomon, of course, still sinfulness, still brokenness. That's not the kingdom of, of God that we're promised. But we see again, what we'll see in Revelation, we see in seed form throughout the story of the Bible, that this city of Jerusalem that that David builds and that God's people build and the temple that they build will eventually be this picture of, 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 uh, of what we see in Revelation. But the goal isn't, like what we don't want to see, I think, in Genesis chapter 11 is look, they're working together and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Look, they're, you know, united in purpose. That's a good thing. We're, I think we're intended to read Genesis chapter 11 as entirely wicked, sinful, the height of human rebellion, doing things that might look like obedience in actual complete disobedience. And God judges and extends grace through salvation to his people. Mm-hmm. I have a... I think I have a little nice place for us to land if you guys will allow me. Um, You you know, we think about the Psalms as being written by David and there are many that are, but in Psalm 90, you know, you see a Psalm that's written by Moses. I love the heading says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Um, And so think about Moses, you know, as the author of of what we've just been reading here in these first 11 chapters. And I I won't read the whole thing, although if you go back and look at it, if you want a little, if our listeners want a little extra 
uh, go read Psalm 90 and read it in light of what we've been reading about in, in Genesis 1 through 11. But I think we can hear like this story about Babel and think, well, okay, sure. But like nobody really got what the message was. You know, surely it was just kind of a story about a building project on the plain of Shinar. Um, but listen to the words of Moses in Psalm 90. He opens with, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so he understands the Lord as their as their home. You know, this idea that he is their place of rest. Um, and then the end of the Psalm is, uh, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And you can see in Moses' awareness there, we're part of a building project um, and we want it to be established that the Lord would be our dwelling place. Um, And so there, and there are a ton of really good connections in the Psalm. I'll let you, you guys find them on your own. Um, Not you guys, JT and Kyle, I'm sure you're probably (laughs) familiar with the Psalm, but for those who haven't ever made the connection, um, it's a, it's just, we see the Holy Spirit doing what He does. He communicates um, what's needful to those that He loves, that they might follow Him according to His will and His word. And the message of the Tower of Babel is um, the Lord is the city is the city builder. He is its architect, mm-hmm. um, and we are part of that building project. And we would not want to be a part of any other building project because we want to be able to pray your kingdom come and actually be uh, implements of that, that being the case. Absolutely. Amen, Jen. That's so good. That is good. That's a good place to land. Thank you, Jen. Um, listen, uh, you can join the conversation by finding us on social media at Knowing Faith Podcast, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you want to see some more behind the scenes stuff and get some cool features, you can go to patreon.com slash knowing faith. There's a cool newsletter there and some merch and some other fun stuff over there. In our next episode, we get to chat with Tish Harrison Warren about God's presence in the dark places of Genesis 1 through 11. Grace and peace. <laughs>